you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles or on your electronic device to Psalm 94. I'll be in Psalm 94 tonight. Yes, I'm still in the Psalms. No, it's not my fault. Yes, of course, it's the Lord's fault. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll come out of the Psalms soon and get back to the Gospel of John. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun looking at Him and worshiping. Awe is good. Awe is very good. You must cultivate awe in your life if you're a Christian. If you're not a believer, it doesn't really matter. If you're merely religious, it doesn't matter. You can come to church without being in awe of God. Um, but you can't live the Christian life without being in awe of God. You, you just simply won't do it. Um, you'll bail in the world if, uh, yeah, when it gets hot. So I'm just going to tell you again these quotes from, uh, from uh, American theologian Paul David Tripp just to set the stage as we've been talking about the last few weeks. Whether you know it or not, you're in a lifelong pursuit of awe. For those of you who have trouble with my southern dialect, um, A-W-E is what I'm saying, awe. There is an awe longing in you, and a misplaced awe will keep you always dissatisfied. If you're trying to you know, fill up your soul with something in the world, you will, be, you will be perpetually dissatisfied until the day you die. But if you're looking at God and filling up your heart and your soul and your mind and your imagination with the, the beauty and the glory and the, the, the fearsome, awesome you know, nature of God, the biblical God you'll find joy that you've never contemplated. Trip again. Every problem you think you have, it's an all problem. <laughs> it's just, it's vertical. Every significant problem you think you have in your life, it's just vertical. Give it to God. It's all vertical. Lastly, if all of God is not the center of your worldview, you're not looking at anything right. And you certainly won't be looking at what we're talking about tonight, right? If you're not in awe of God. And we, we've been defining the word awe, wonderment, amazement, fear, and terror. It's all of those things. It's all of those things. We know that every man who got a glimpse of God in his glorified state in the Bible, he hid his face as fast as he could. There is an otherness to God. He is unique. He is holy. He is unapproachably holy. He is a consuming fire. And the psalmist will accentuate that aspect tonight. I, I promise you, man, I was thinking about getting out of the psalms, and then I, I, I didn't really want to do Psalm 94. I told the Lord, Lord, I'd rather do a different psalm, and He just kept pushing me back to Psalm 94. So that means either you or I or all of us need to hear what the psalmist will tell us about God. If you've turned to Psalm 94, the first verse, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Now, many places in the modern church would never preach Psalm 94. <laughs> you know, God of vengeance. You're not going to hear that preached in very many places. 
But as famous theologian, American theologian Jonathan Edwards says, His awful majesty and His dreadful greatness will be put on display. I was listening to John MacArthur, famous preacher in the States, one of my favorite guys preaching on this this week. And I didn't look up all the times that vengeance appears in the Bible. It's many times. God is not afraid for you to understand that He is a God of wrath and vengeance. God does not hide this from anyone who simply reads through the Bible. Now, you could attend very many churches and never hear it. So-called churches, I'll say. But God's not shy about saying He will judge His enemies. He will do it. You can't read the Bible with any integrity and not understand that. 25 years ago, minding my own business, you know, just a young Christian and, well, not so young, but, you know. I heard a theologian say something. And it was one of those things you hear, you know, I respected the guy. He was, he's dead now, but he was well respected. He was no slouch. But it was one of those things you just kind of hope is not true. You know, I heard him say it, and, and you go, he's probably right, but I, I don't want that to be true. <laughs> right? Um. I'd probably say some things to you that you kind of feel the same way about. But I have to say, after 25 years, what he said was true. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've watched it. Okay? It's just true. Sadly, it is true. This is what the old dead preacher said. One of these days you'll be quoting me. You'll say, that old dead preacher, this is what he said. Right? Orazio? That's right. Ratio will quote me. Somebody, you know, just when I'm dead, I just want someone to say that about me. Okay? Rohan, you're pretty young. Okay? <laughs> this is what he says. Many professing Christians who finally get around to reading their Bibles discover they don't like God at all. I've experienced this. I've heard this. I watch people walk out the door and never come back. They, what, what they like is they like the cartoon Jesus. They like the mythical Jesus. They like the Jesus, you know, that they've, they've built up in their mind. And if they've been in a weak church, uh, the accomplice is the preacher. They've got a false view of who Jesus Christ actually is. I'm going to read it to you again. Many professing Christians who finally get around to reading their Bibles discover they don't like God at all. There are members of some church somewhere. They attend some kind of so-called church. They profess to believe in some kind of Jesus. But when they read this, they will not submit to this. They, as many denominations do, they stand in judgment over this. They say, well, I like that part. I'll preach that sermon. I don't like Psalm 94. Oh, vengeance of God, shine forth. I don't like that. My people don't like that. I'm not going to preach that. That's when you know you're in a false church. When you, never, when you never get the full orbed view of God, you know you're in a false church. You know you're in an apostate church. You know, if I see Him as nothing else, God... God willing, at least we have some integrity. At least we preach what the Word says.
So, they don't like the real Jesus. They're pretenders. And there are millions of so-called Christian pretenders who have a mythical Jesus in their head. That's the one they like. They get to a hard text, Oh Lord, God of vengeance, and they turn the page and try to find something a little more, you know, pleasing. Something a little smoother. There's a lot of things people don't like about the biblical God. They don't like His solitariness. Now this is something, many of you may not have heard this word before, it just simply means that God doesn't need you. (laughs) This offends many human beings. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He existed for an eternity past without you. He doesn't need you in any sense of the word. He doesn't need anyone. The Trinity dwells in perfect love and communication. Another thing that many people find objectionable is God's sovereignty. Ephesians 1.11 He works all things. Not most things or some things. Or He works... The Bible says God works all all things according to the counsel of His will. You know, some people don't like this. Some people want their will to be preeminent. You know, you hear many people in many pulpits protecting the free will of man, but who's protecting the free will of God? Although it doesn't need to be protected, but it does need to be proclaimed. He does whatever He pleases. He's not going to ask your permission. Another truth in the Bible... Some people don't care for is the fact that he is mysterious. You know, I, I, I run into this a lot. You know, people will, walk, people will pretend to walk with God for a long time and then they hit something hard, they don't understand, and they bail. If they can't understand immediately what God is doing, I'm not going to, you know, put up with that. God's not going to counsel with you. God is not going to, you know, confide all of his secrets with you. He's very rarely ever going to tell you why. This is not what God does. God just reveals Himself to His people. He doesn't explain Himself to to His people. He reveals Himself to His people. Some people don't like this. One more. Many don't like His providential purposes. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I hear this in my profession. People critiquing God. He's simply not running the universe like I think He ought to. Can you believe the arrogance? I'm always astonished at the arrogance of what you and I are, which is dust in the wind, molded into the fashion of a human being in the image of God, but there's just the arrogance of bowing up and judging God's Word, and thereby judging God. Let me just read Psalm 81.15 to you. I'm going to use the word pretender a number of times. This is where I'm getting it. Psalm 81.15. Those who hate the Lord... Okay? Those who hate the Lord would would pretend obedience to Him. What's he talking about? He's talking about church members. Okay, In the Old Testament, he's talking about the Jews. In the New Testament, he's talking about you and me. If we're pretenders. Listen to what he says. 
Psalm 81.15, those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him and their time of punishment would be forever. The most off-sided reason that people don't like the God of the Bible is Psalm 94.1. The God of vengeance. Well, Jim... How do I square that with the God of love? Well, He's both. And He's, a, he's an infinite number of other things as well. He is an infinite being. You, you, can't, you can't divide off some attribute you, you like and you're drawn to and ignore some attribute you don't like and are not drawn to. You, you don't get to do that with God. <laughs> you know, if you don't like Him, you don't like Him. But stop pretending, right? If you don't want to submit to the God of the Bible, go do something else. I encourage you not to do that. But men hate the truth of Psalm 94, 1. They hate it. And people bump into these things and instead of humbling themselves, they edit God. <laughs> okay? This is what happens to denominations. They, they begin to edit God. And before you know it, they don't believe anything anymore. So, I, I challenge you, don't Edit God. Don't be guilty of that. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, my God would not do X, Y, Z. You know, I hear this all the time. And when someone says, my God, you know what they're talking about. They're talking about their God. The one that's in their head. Usually. Usually. They're not talking about the biblical God. They're talking about their God. Again, the mythical one. The one that they have built up in their heart and mind. So, it's always been like this. I'm going to give you an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. Isaiah 30. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us in pleasant words and prophesy illusions. This is what many denominations do now. They just tickle the ears of those in the seats. Tickling ears promotes more people in seats. It it uh, promotes more money in the offerings. It's just good for business. I wouldn't want to be one of those preachers, though, that gives an account to the Lord. New Testament passage. You, you'll know this one. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. These are pretenders. They live any way they want to all week. They come to church on Sunday and they 
tip their hat to God as if God will be impressed. Beloved, God's not impressed if you tip your hat to Him. What does God want with His people? A relationship. A real relationship. A real relationship. Men have always preferred a good tickle over God's truth. Mythical gods are just so much easier. They're so much more pliable. The God of Psalm 94 does not deal in pleasantries and illusions and ear tickles and myths. The psalmist of Psalm 94 is looking at Yahweh. He's looking at I Am. He's looking at the God who reigns in heaven and earth. The real One. Not some denominational God. The biblical God. And he says, verse 1, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, exclamation point. The psalmist is saying, Lord God, let your wrath be seen in all the earth. It's what the psalmist is praying. Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Let your righteousness and your holiness and your justice be seen in the earth. It's what the psalmist is praying about. It's what the psalmist is praying about. So I'm just going to stop right here. Okay. Some of you already don't like Psalm 94.1. And I, what I want to say to you, if you already don't like Psalm 94.1, I'm going to ask you to, you know, just right there, to confess this to God and be open and listen. Okay? Just be honest with yourself. I already don't like Psalm 94.1. Confess that to the Lord. I lovingly say you need to confess that to God. So I'm going to park on verse 1 and 2. Don't be alarmed. I'll finish the rest of the psalm. But I'm going to park on 1 and 2. Okay? I don't want anyone to be alarmed. We'll get out to the appropriate moment, whatever that is. Um, so don't be alarmed. Again, twice. The psalmist says it twice. I love Habakkuk 1.3. God's eyes are too pure to approve of evil. He cannot look on wickedness with favor. Pretenders hate this. They hate this. They really hate Psalm 5.5 and Psalm 7.11. Psalm 5.5. Some of you don't even know this is in the Bible. God hates all who do iniquity. I didn't know God hated All I can tell you is it's in the Word of God. My job, whether there's one person here or 10,000, that's not a problem. We've never had 10,000. Um, is to just say what God says. That's my job. I mean, my job's not hard. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You just 
read what's in the Bible and then you say it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite simple. God hates all who do iniquity. Psalm 7.11 God is angry with the wicked every day. Some of you don't know that. Some of you haven't told your friends and your family that. God is angry every day with the wicked. And the psalmist says, God of vengeance, shine forth, beloved. He will. He will shine forth. But what I want to say to you in the midst of all of this, this is the day of grace and mercy. This is the day of grace and mercy. Today, if you hear the Word of God, do not harden your heart. Run to Jesus. Because one day, the vengeance of God will shine forth. You know the text, Revelation something. The men cried out, the great men cried out that the mountains and the rocks would fall on them and hide them from whom? Hide them from whom? Tell me. From Satan. Hide them from whom? The angry lamb. The fierce wrath of the lamb. Have you ever seen an angry lamb? We will see one soon. We will, beloved. Listen, I know why the Lord took me to Psalm 94. This is undiluted, unadulterated awe. It's what Psalm 94 is. It's just awe. So what are we talking about here? The vengeance and the recompense. Let me read the, yeah, verse 2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. This is just justice. It's the justice of God. What does recompense mean? It's the justified act of paying back a wrong incurred. You have wronged God. That's the, the ultimate evil of sin. You've wronged God. A holy God. A righteous God. A benevolent God. A good God. A God who gave you everything. Every last cell in your body is a gift from God. Right? And you're indifferent to Him? You don't have time for Him. He's not consequential in your life. Beloved, this is blasphemy. It, it, there's no other word for it. It's blasphemy. So I, I always love what D.A. Carson says about this. I'm just going to insert this. It's on my head. It, it, it's in my notes here. It's probably in the wrong place. Justice is coming. And I love what D.A. Carson says about this. You know, it's because some people say, well, I don't, I don't like, the Bi I don't like what, what the Bible says about eternal conscious punishment. I don't like that. I reject that. Okay, then you're standing in judgment over the Word of God. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else. More than everyone else combined. Okay? So, you know, a lot of people want to always appeal to the biblical Jesus um, and say, well, He didn't talk about X, Y, Z. But one thing they can't say is He didn't talk about hell because... He did. He talked about it a lot. But D.A. Carson said, not only will justice be done, justice will be seen to be done. Now I have a quiz for those of you who have been around for a while. How is eternal punishment, how is eternal punishment just for finite sin? How is infinite punishment just in the face of finite sin? You need to know the answer to this question because somebody... Some thinking person in the world is going to ask you, now wait a minute, I'm sinning in time, and you're saying to me from this book you believe, 
that I'm going to be punished for an eternity? How is that just? What will you say? What will you say? You need to know the answer to this question. It's because your offense is against whom? An infinite God. And I've been reading a lot about this recently. And I learned something new, which I always do as I read. You know another reason that it's eternal? <clears throat> because sin doesn't stop in hell. You'll still hate God. In fact, you'll hate Him more intensely in hell than you've ever hated Him before. That's why it's eternal. And don't let anyone talk to you about annihilationism or universalism. Okay? These things are not true. They are not biblical. They are an abomination. We've got to love people enough to tell them the truth, beloved. I, I, I'm trying to love you and, 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 and yeah, we're talking about being in awe of God and that's an awesome thing. And this is one reason we all need to be in awe of God. He will judge His enemies. Omnipotent wrath will fall on the enemies of God. And I'm just going to say it really, really short. We don't have time to develop it. This is what Jesus said about damnation. He says it's real. He says it's eternal. He says it's deserved. He says it's terrible. He says it's inescapable. Now, some of you probably never heard a sermon on it. I did a whole sermon on, on Jude, Jude 7, verse 7. Go to the podcast site. Pastor Jim podcast. Go to the podcast site. Jude 7 is entitled Hell. You can, you can just search for it. Okay? You can go listen to it. Hopefully that will help you if you struggle with this. But I, I want to confess to you, several years ago when I was going through this study, and I'm actually studying it again, what the net takeaway was for me. Anybody want to guess? When I studied eternal punishment, what my takeaway was? You want to be in awe of God? Plumb the depths of His holiness, which is evident from what it costs the wicked. You want to be in awe of God? You know, I, I shared with you a week or so ago, you know, people think hell is a scare tactic. It's not a scare tactic, <laughs> okay? It's not a scare tactic. I can't scare anyone into, into hell. I mean, into heaven. Okay? Just because you're scared of hell doesn't mean you love Christ and nobody's going to heaven that doesn't love Christ. This is eternal life. that They may know you. And the, the, the greatest commandment, that they may love you with the, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I just want to say, let me just read something to you, okay? Now I'm going to move on. I, I, want, I want to share this with you. I share this because it, it was meaningful to me. It changed me fundamentally in some ways. And I just want to expose you to it. If you're looking in the mirror, you think eternal punishment could never be just. I'm not that bad of a person. Okay? If you're looking at the biblical God, if you're looking at the, the, the God of Psalm 94, 
and you realize that Jesus says eternal punishment is real, He says it multiple times, there's no mistake about it, therefore it must be just. It comes back to what you, how you view God's Word. It, it comes back to how you view God's Word. You either submit to it and you tremble before it, or you edit it. Here's what I want to say to you. If eternal conscious punishment is just, therefore, how infinitely incomprehensible is the holiness of God? Jesus is our friend and our brother, but sometimes we forget the wrath of the Lamb is coming. Therefore, how infinitely heinous is your sin and my sin If eternal conscious punishment is real, how infinitely blameworthy it must be to treat the glory of God with indifference. You know, how many people think, well, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I don't kick the dog. I mow my grass. I throw a euro in the offering plate sometimes when it's not too inconvenient to go to church. Listen, if you don't love Him, God hates pretense. Let me just say it that way. God hates pretense. If hell is real, what infinite glory and purity God must have that everlasting suffering is just and fitting for dishonoring and disobeying Him. And then I want you to really hear this. You know, those who disparage hell, the, 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 the theological orthodoxy of hell, those who do are disparaging the cross. If eternal conscious punishment is just, what a stunning, shocking, amazing, breathtaking, unbelievable thing Jesus Christ did in my behalf. Listen, if you study the doctrine, you'll end up on your face. Okay, two things, one or two things will happen. When you study the doctrine, if you're, if you're a born-again believer, you're going to end up on your face. If you're not, you're going to flee. You know, <laughs> this is what happens, okay? People who love the Word of God end up on their face those who don't love the Word of God and will not submit to the Word of God, they'll simply flee. They'll go find some denomination that won't preach to them like this. That denomination doesn't love you enough to preach the truth to you. <laughs> You've got to love people to do this, right? You do. Jesus did it! <laughs> More than anyone else in the Bible! More than everyone else in the Bible! Jesus did it. So, I'm going to ask you this question. When you come to the Bible, do you have a me-centered lens on or a God-centered lens on? You know, if you have a me-centered lens on, if you think the universe revolves around you, you're, there's going to be a lot of hard stuff you're going to read. You're simply not going to accept. You're out. If you have a God-centered lens on, you'll humble yourself. And you'll be in awe. And your life will change. <laughs> when you come to these hard passages, your life will 
change. What will you do? Will you interpret God's Word through yourself or through an awesome, fearsome, exalted, consuming fire? God. If you take issue with the vengeance of God, the wrath of God, hell, eternal conscious punishment, you're not simply taking issue with some church father or disciple or apostle, you're taking issue with God incarnate. So I just want that to settle in. That's who you're debating with. That's who you're arguing with. That's who you're rejecting. He said it. I can't bear the weight of simply saying it myself. I'm simply repeating what Jesus has said. Notice in verses 1 and 2, this is a prayer. It's a prayer. God, let Your vengeance shine forth and this prayer will be answered. Amen? We know that it will be answered. There are many places I could go in the Bible. But the Lord took me to Romans 1 and 2 very quickly. Verse 18 of Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So we know that the wrath of God is being revealed. You die. Okay, when you get my age, you just look at yourself and you're just like, you know, it's like, mama mia. You know, it just gets worse every day um, in a physical sense. Why do men die? Men weren't built to die. Men were built to live. Why do men die? It's the wrath of God. What are your wages? If you're a sinner, what are your wages? Now, if you're not a sinner, well, you all are, so let's don't even go there. What are your wages? What does God say? 6.23, Romans 6.23. What are your wages? Death! You will die! This is the wrath of God! Because we're sinners! But what else do we learn there from Romans 6.23? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, both things are happening. Wrath is happening. The offer of grace is happening. What will you do? The ball's in your court. I wrote an, appendage, uh, an appendix to the, the book because a couple of my endorsers said you need to put a little bit of the Gospel in this book. So I wrote an appendix. And I simply said, it's all up to you. It's just up to you. <laughs> Read the Bible. It's up to you. You want God or not? It's up to you. <laughs> the free gift of God. It's a free gift from God. It's up to you. No man will stand before God and say, I, I never got a chance. You did get the chance. Especially all of you sitting in here. You did get the chance. You know Romans 2.4, do you think lightly of the riches of, the kindness, of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? For God, for those who persevere, pardon me, let me go back. God who will render to each person according to His deeds. If you're not in Christ, you just get your wages. Not only temporally, but eternally. Right? In Christ, we do not receive eternal death. And did you notice in verse 2 there, he says, to recompense the proud. Is it bad to be proud? <laughs> you know, some, in some places in the world, you hear that pride is a virtue. 
Well, not before God. Actually, uh, in the book of James in the New Testament, James says that God is opposed to the proud. I don't know that it gets any worse than that. Verses 3-6. through six. Let me just summarize quickly. He's talking about the wicked, right? How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will they exalt? They are arrogant. They vaunt themselves. They crush your people. They afflict your heritage. They slay the widow. They murder orphans. Do you not see it? Does the God of Jacob not see it? So he's talking about the wicked. And I'm sure many of you are like me. Sometimes I watch the news and I just say, Come, Lord Jesus. I am so tired of this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. As John says, come quickly. You just get tired of watching it, man. You just get tired of watching it. So how long will the wicked afflict His people? What does God say in Revelation 6.10? What does God say? A little while longer. <laughs> a little while longer is what He says. You know, God runs the universe according to His plan, not according to yours in mind. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, 19th century English preacher, in due time God will publish His reply to the wicked. Okay? In due time. So God's vengeance is coming. His recompense is coming. His justice is coming. Unimaginable wrath is coming. It is the wrath of the Lamb. I just want to note that there's an estimate. The estimate of Christian martyrs in the world today is anywhere from 1,200 to 10 to 100,000 a year. Probably the number's about 10,000. Christians still die because they're Christians. Now, we know most of us aren't going to die. Some of you may go back to dangerous countries. I don't know. Most of us sitting in here will not be martyred. But you will be persecuted. How do we know this? Paul says it. Paul says, if you desire to live godly, you might... No, you probably... No, you will be persecuted for being a light in a dark world. You just will be. It will happen. It's not if, it's when. It's going to happen. Sometimes it's in your family. Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes it's on Facebook. <laughs> Who cares, really, right? If it's on Facebook. Um, it'll happen. If you're really walking with Christ, what did Jesus say? They hated Me. They will hate you too. Verses 7-11, through 11, summarize here. The Lord Does the Lord not see... Pay heed, look verse 8, Pay heed, you senseless among the people. Will you understand, you stupid ones? Of course, these are the wicked, the ones who, who uh, edit God, who don't pay any attention to God, who ignore God, who live like their little sovereigns, who live like you know the world's about them. Verse 9, Will He not hear? Will He not see? Verse 10, Will He not rebuke? The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are a mere breath. We talked a lot about it in detail last week, so I won't go into it. The Lord is intimately acquainted with every thought you have. He knows the Word before it's on your tongue. Yeah, you can't hide anything from Him. So, this is just a simple reiteration of that truth. He says they are senseless. They are stupid. They have no awe of God. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans chapter something. I think it's three. They just live their life. They don't fear God. They don't seek God. They don't love God. They don't obey God. They're pretenders. <laughs> Beloved, I was listening to Chan preach about hell. Francis Chan, famous American preacher. He says, man, I'm real concerned if you've got a trouble in your marriage and you've got trouble in your finances and your kids or you've got trouble with your kids and I, I'm, real, I'm real concerned about all that. But here's what I'm concerned about. That you know the Lord Jesus Christ because the consequence is terrifying if you don't. And so, this is me loving you. Say, so, Jim, I don't like when you preach this way. Okay. That's your call. <laughs> but this is me loving you. And I'm not going to stand before God and He asked me, why didn't you tell them? I'm not going to stand before Him and have to answer that question. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I, I, I... Quick comment on this. This is from Psalm 10.4, Psalm 14.1, Psalm 53.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If you look at the Hebrew here, this is a practical atheism. This is not simply saying, I don't believe in God. This, is, you know, this might be a one who says, I believe in God. Your average Jew would believe in God. But they live like practical atheists. You understand what I'm saying? Practical atheists. Which means I live disconnected from God. I don't consult with God. I don't read His Word. I don't submit my life to His authority and to His commandments. I'm a practical atheist. This is what the Bible's talking about. The senseless ones. The stupid ones. They are practical atheists. Verses 12-16 through 16, Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity. The, the, the adversity's coming. We already referenced it. It's coming. How do, you, how do you beat adversity as a Christian? How do you do it? How do you beat boredom? How do you beat disappointment? How do you beat abandonment? How do you beat, you know, anything that comes into your life? How do you do it? You look at God and you be in awe. <laughs> Jesus means for you to be in awe of Him. He means for you to tremble and be in awe. And then all of your other problems become about that big. When you're reconciled to Jesus, I'm not saying you don't have serious problems. I'm an old man. I've lived through a lot of serious problems. But it's really helpful to just sit and be in awe of God in the midst of your problems. It makes your problems just the right size. So you don't become, you know, overwhelmed. I love Psalm 94 quickly, verse 13. Uh, the psalmist says, It was good for me when I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. What did he do when he was afflicted? He was in the Word. God was changing him. I always say it to you, if the trial's here, God's here. God means to do a work in you. So let's not run from the trial. As Piper says, don't waste your cancer. I know that's shocking to some of you. But when Karen was diagnosed, the first thing we, we said to each other is, we're not going to waste this. We're not just going to worry and fret and be afraid. And, and, you know, yeah, it was easier for me to say than her. She had to deal with it. She had to take the chemo and the radiation. But I can tell you how she walked through it <laughs> in awe of God. I watched it. 
You know, I can fool you, you can fool me. You can fool a lot of people. You can't fool your spouse. And I watched her love God in the midst of it. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I love my wife. She is awesome. You can tell her I said that. All right, verses 17 and 19. The Lord had not been my help. My soul would have gone down into death. My foot would have slipped, but your loving kindness held me up. When my anxious thoughts multiplied within me, your consolations delighted my soul. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm looking at you and I'm in awe. I know you're bigger than my problems. I know you're bigger. And I know Romans 8.28 is true. I know you're going to do something that I don't yet understand. Something good. Beloved, Christianity is like cheating. It's just like cheating. It's like cheating. The rest of the world, all they can do is cry and moan and groan and feel sorry for themselves. What do Christians do? What do real believers do? We look at God and we're in awe. And we know He's holding us and we know He's doing something. Something, something that matters. Karen and I have gone through some stuff recently and I said, you know what? I said, this matters. This matters. God's preparing us for what's next. It's a beautiful way to live, beloved. Even when it's hard, the anticipation is there. Alright, I've got like four or five verses here. I don't have time to, to give them to you. Uh, when he, he, you know, David's talking about how God is holding him and how faithful he is. And I've got all these verses and I can't share them with you. I don't have time. But I'll give you one just because, you know, I have to. Um, uh, Psalm 56, 3-4. When I am afraid, David says, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verses 20-23. He's talking here about these thrones of destructions, popes and presidents and potentates. Who are they compared to God? Nothing. Let them do their worst, right? They're, worse, they're less than grasshoppers before Yahweh. Those who devise mischief, verse 20, they band themselves together against the life of the righteous. They, they persecute uh, the, the believers, verse 23. And He has brought back their wickedness upon them. What is that? You reap what you sow. Whatever you sow will come back to you. You know, the world kind of appropriated this. What goes around comes around. It's just the truth, right? It's just the truth. It's what God is saying here. Verse 23, God will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. This is not that He'll destroy them out of existence. This is that He will cut them off and they will be banished into eternal fire forever. Go read Revelation. These are the words of God. Psalm 94 begins with the prospect of God's vengeance and judgments and recompense, and it ends with His banishment of the wicked. And here's the thing I want to say to you, and I'm done. Some of you don't like this sermon. You know, when you're a preacher, you can see it on faces. And... Uh, Some of you don't like it. But you know what? That's never the test of a good sermon. <laughs> My job is to try to ensure that God likes it. And if you like it, praise the Lord. I have an audience of one. 
That's my job. But here's the thing. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if I like it. What matters is, does God say it? And I defy you. Or maybe I'll use a better word. I challenge you. You go read your Bible. You come back to me and tell me I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll change my sermon. I'll preach a retraction. If I'm wrong, you go read your Bible. You tell me if I'm wrong. I'll retract the sermon. Psalm 81, 15. The pretenders. I'll close with this. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. See, I can't let you come in here and just keep pretending. If, if, if that's where you are. I'm not saying that's where you are, but if that's where you are, I can't do it. It's malpractice. Psalm 81.15, Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him, and their time of punishment will be forever. Whenever I teach hard things, I always close with this verse. Isaiah 66.2 God says, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. Okay? So, based on what we talked about tonight, some of us, yeah, we're trembling at the word of God. We're not pretending that, you know, he's a kindly old grandfather who I can play for a fool. He's Yahweh. He's I Am. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And the psalmist says, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, He will shine forth. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? Let's pray together. What an awesome God. What a fearsome God. A consuming fire God. A perfectly holy and righteous and just God whom we have sinned against. The Bible tells us that you are dreadfully provoked the psalmist prays for vengeance. That Your vengeance would shine forth. Lord God, may we humble ourselves under Your Word. May we receive it. May we incorporate it into our lives. May we speak truth to our family and to our friends and colleagues. And May we not be infatuated with a cartoon. But may we look Jesus full in the face and love Him. For we know that the wrath is coming. And men will run and hide to try to shield themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. So we love You and we worship You. Help us, Father. If this is a hard truth for some, help us. Help us to be open. Help us to open our hearts and our minds. Help us to hear. Help us to submit. Help us, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen.